First one I've gotten from you in a while. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'd you to open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 21. We're going to begin in 2 Kings chapter 21. And Lord willing, next week, King Josiah, and then we're done with our study through the kings, and we'll begin a new study in June, Lord willing, through the book of 1 John. That's where we're going to be going in the next, and we'll be in 1 John for about 8 to 9, maybe 10 months, and then uh, 2 John for a couple months, and then 3 John, and then cell phones. <laughs> we're thankful to the Lord. Even yesterday in our house, I'm talking to everybody and somebody's cell phone went off. Everywhere I go, cell phones go off. That's a, that's a good... Isn't it amazing? Let's look at this. Isn't it, some, isn't it amazing how children act exactly like their parents? Now, if Debbie's phone goes off, then we know she's exactly like... Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it amazing? Isn't it, isn't it amazing how people, their parents, act, their children act exactly... Like, have you noticed that? Like some of the things... I didn't realize that I act a lot like my mother um, until this week when she was with us. And my kid said, Dad, you act exactly like Grandma. And, and, and one of the things that I do that my mother does a lot is, um, did you like it? Did you like that? Did you like that? Did you like it? She'll ask it about 50 times. You know, you had to did you really like, did you like Papa Frank's food? Did you like Papa Frank's food? Five minutes ago by, hey guys, did you like Papa Frank's food? And, and I do that to the kids. Did you like that? We went out to over here. Did you like it? Did you like it? And I always, I always did it. My dad, my dad, when he would play sports, he was a sore winner. <laughs> And I don't know, Stephen, do you think I get that from him a little bit? We need better men in this church. Because let me just tell you something. We played ping pong yesterday in my head. Not one guy from this church could beat me. Not one. We need better men in this church who know how to play a little ping pong. You know what I mean? I'm playing around. But I'm showing you how I'm a sore winner, right? Um, but uh, I remember one time we were playing this guy in, in handball. My brother was losing in handball, and my dad's just sitting there. And he goes, do I have to get up and show this guy how to play? And my dad gets up, and the guy beat him too. You know, you know I mean? um, But I joke around like that with my kids too. Do I have to get out there and show them how to play? Do I have to get on the ping pong table and show you guys a little bit of ping pong, you know, and how to handle it and all that? Do I have to take down the whole church? I mean, it was... You had to see yesterday, one by one, bing, 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 bing. I was knocking them out one by one. All right? I mean, it was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, I put it on Facebook and then now I got it. But it's amazing how we act like our parents. My dad was a sore winner, and guess what? I can be a sore winner. Um, my mom, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. My mom always asked, did you like it? Did you like it? I can do that. Did you like it? Did you like it? So I want to show you something here. Um, your parents, notice this in the passage here. Your parents do not have to be the determining factor in your spiritual journey. You say, why is that? Let me just say this. Being a child of a Christian doesn't make you a what? It doesn't. Some of you may know um, Hugh Hefner. Unbelievable. His father was a Methodist minister. 
that later defected from the faith and became an employee of Playboy, the father. Being a child of a Christian does not make you a Christian. Here's the good news. Being a child of an atheist doesn't make you an atheist. Praise God for that. Not everyone's been blessed to be in a Christian home. Not everyone understands what it means to be in a, in a Christian home. So being a child of an, of, of an atheist doesn't mean that you're going to turn out exactly like them. Because there's something called the grace of God. A, a psychologist, psychologist will tell you, you know, you're, you're four and five years old, you'll never change. Well, let me just tell you something. They don't understand the grace of God. And even though you may have unbelieving parents, people who can care less about God, guess what? There's hope for you. And here's what amazes me as we, we look at this in 2 um, Kings chapter 21. Look at Manasseh here. He was 12 years old when he became king. And if you want to understand something, his father was a king, Hezekiah. Remember him? Last week, a couple weeks ago, we studied him. And King Hezekiah was an amazing man. I mean, he trusted in God. He, he's a man that opened up the doors uh, of the temple so they could worship God. Here's a man that, 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 that reestablished the Passover. Here's a man that told the priests and the Levites, we're going to take care of you. You just teach the word of God. Here's a man that was miraculously healed by God and given 15 years of moral life. Here's a man that through one prayer, 185,000 people died. And, and Manasseh saw all that. And it didn't affect him at all. That blows my mind. That blows my mind when we have people who love God, but yet their children want nothing to do with God. It happens. It happens a lot. And sometimes we put a lot of guilt on the parents. We say, you weren't a good example. That's why your child doesn't live for God. You weren't this and you weren't that. And we put a lot of guilt on them. Let me just tell you, there are a lot of examples in the Bible of people who love God, but their children don't love God. It happens. And there's examples of people who, who didn't love God and their children do love God. So sometimes we give too much credit to parents. Oh, look what you've done. Your amazing job. Your parents, your kids. That's only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God I have an Ellie. Praise God. Only by the grace of God I have a Johnny and Joshua. Now, that is God's grace. And look at this. Manasseh was 12 years old. And he became king. And he reigned how long? 55 years. One of the longest Reigns there are in the Bible. 55 years. His mother, her name means my delight is in her. And so we really don't know much about her. But here's what we do know in verse 2. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He, in fact, he's going to reverse all the things his father did. How do you like that? His father uh, tried hard to reestablish and put God first to the nation, but he is going to undo all that his father did. It's, it's amazing. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He is a worldly, wicked king. Look at this. According to the abominations of the nations. Not even of, uh, uh, of Israel. The, the, the abominations of the nations. He wanted to be like the world. You say, say what did he do? 
Well, look at verse 3. He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He erected altars again to Baal and made an Asherah. There he's worshiping now the fertility gods. And look at this. He worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served him them. And so he, he put altars. Look at verse 4. He built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In verse 5, he built altars for all the hosts of heaven. So for the sun, for the moon, for the stars. He put altars in there and he was worshiping all the hosts of heaven. It's amazing how people still do that today. How many of you read your horoscope today? I hope not. How many go to different things and look to the stars for direction? I like Chinese food. One of my favorite things about Chinese food is that fortune cookie. Amen? <laughs> and you open up that fortune cookie and here's a voice from God, right? Now you know what God wants out of your life. And, and usually the voice says, you know, you're going to be happy today. You're going to meet someone or you're going to make someone happy today. And, and on the back they have numbers. You know what those numbers are for? Right? You can play some of those numbers. Isn't it amazing? Here's what's amazing. He, he built altars for the... Why would people do that? Because they're looking for direction from someone else other than God. And they're, and they're seeking direction. And people do that. Why does somebody read the horoscope? Why do people read those things and want to know those things? Because they want direction from somebody other than God. They want direction. They want to be... They want direct. And so what happens here? What does God say? Look at this verse here in Isaiah 47, verse 13. He says, you, have, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict by the new moons, stand up and save you from what will come upon you. Let, let, me, let me put it to you in plain words. How come we never read in the news that a fortune teller won the lottery? If I'm a fortune teller, I'm winning every lottery there is. How come we never, how come we don't see the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby was won by a fortune teller? They knew 80 to 1 the horse was going to win. How come we don't read of those things? You know why? Because they don't know the future. Only God does. Amen. And they're playing with that stuff and people are buying it and believing it and looking to that for direction in life. Don't go there. Because God says here in this verse, they've wearied, they've wearied with your many count. Let them save you. Let them give you direction. Let them stand up right now. And they're not going to stand up. They're not going to save you because they can't. And yet he was going into that stuff. He was building altars in the house of God to them. I mean, what a wicked king this is. We go on. We read more about him. Look at verse 6. He made his son pass through the fire. Now, some of you have read Leviticus and other portions of the Bible when, when people would do this. And why would they do it? Because they wanted to appease this God here, another God here, Molech. And they would, they would make their son pass through a fire. You talk about infant sacrifice. They would practice infant sacrifice. Why? To please God, to be on God's good side. They would give up their children. By the way, it wasn't only sons, it was daughters too. And he did that. 
He made his son pass through the fire. Infant sacrifice there. And not only that, look at this. He practiced what? Witchcraft. He went to mediums and spiritists. I mean, he's in the occult. He's in, you're ready for this? Necromancy. Anybody hear that word before? I haven't. I had to study this out. You know what this word means? Necromancy? It's on the next slide here. Look at it. Look at it up here. Hopefully I'm pronouncing it right. Here, if it comes up. You know what that is? That's talking to the dead. That's trying to get spirits to, so we can have some kind of connection with people who have died. And he was into all that. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. Don't go there. In fact, the Bible tells us we shouldn't go there. In fact, this is a direct violation of Deuteronomy chapter 18 where he talks about how, but yet people are fascinated with that. And, and they want to know about that and somehow have a connection with the spirits of the underworld. And yet he, he, he tried to do that. He was all into that demonic influences. I mean, he's, he's gone way beyond the other kings. Watch this. He set up in verse 7 a carved image of the Asherah that, that he had made right in the house of the Lord. Do you see it there in verse 7? And said to David and to his son Solomon, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. God, he disregarded the promise of God. God said, in this house my name will be. But what did he do? He set up a carved image of the fertility God. And then in verse 8, God said this in his promise, I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I have given, I gave their fathers. And then notice that two letter little word, if. If what? If only they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. So this was a conditional promise that God said, if you obey me, I will establish you in the land. If you obey me and worship me alone, you will be established forever. That was a big if. Because guess what? They didn't follow the if. Look at verse 9. But they did not listen. Let me tell you, there is nothing more dangerous for our spiritual lives than when we stop listening to God and listening to those who are trying to help us live for God. There is nothing more dangerous than to put ourselves in the authority that God ought to have. Because when we stop listening to God, we are saying, I can handle things on my own. There is nothing more dangerous for us and for those around us than when we stop listening to God. And it says here, they would not listen. They did not listen. And look what he does. He seduces them to do evil more than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. I was recently dealing with somebody that said, I am not going to change. I am not going to listen. And if you want me to change, I am done talking to those who want me to change. How sad that is. And how we can get there. He would not listen. And he seduced them to do more evil. Look at verse 10. Now God is not happy here. Jeremiah 2.13 says this. There's two evils that the people that, that the people did. They committed two evils. And this is Manasseh right here. They have forsaken me. 
This is so easy to do. We, we don't want to listen to them. We don't want to obey them. We just forsake them. We don't want to fill our hearts with them. So what do, I, what do we do? We forsake the Lord God and we try to fill our hearts. Watch this. Hew themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold what? No water. You know what this is telling us? Our hearts long to be filled with something. And if we don't satisfy our hearts with God, if we don't satisfy our hearts with His mercy and with His love, our hearts will seek satisfaction from something else. And let me just tell you, that something else will never satisfy. It's a broken cistern. It is one that wants to... And He's trying to do that. He's putting altars in the house of the Lord. He's trying to fill His heart with something other than God. And they're broken cisterns. So how does God respond with this? Look at this. His idolatry is rebuked. Now the Lord spoke, I love this, the Lord loves us so much. The Lord spoke through his servants, the prophets, saying. So now Manasseh is going to get a little bit of the word of the Lord. And he's going to say, the Lord is going to speak through his prophets. Who the prophets are, we don't know. We know one of them was Isaiah, but we don't know who all the prophets were. But he speaks to his servants as prophets, and here is what he says. Because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has done these abominations having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did who were before him, and has made Judah sin with his idols. Watch what he's going to do. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will what? Tingle. He's saying this. He's saying there is calamity coming for what they have done and I am going to be like those clanging cymbals. Bing, 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 bing. And whoever hears of it, you ever have your ears tingle? Bing, 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 bing. He's telling them, wake up. Listen to what the Lord's about to do. He's going, bing, 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 bing. Your ears are going to tingle when you hear what's going to happen here. What's going to happen? You ever build a building and go, Aaron came down to Argentina and they put that line there to make sure that all the bricks are in order and all that, to make sure that you're putting all the bricks in order. Look what he says in verse 13. I'm going to stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I'm going to get the line all there and I'm not going to be building. I'm getting the line and making sure I'm measuring up to destroy them. Wow. He's not playing around here. And he, and he uses a kitchen thing. He says, I'm going to wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And you're washing the dishes. You get the water out. You're wiping it, getting it all clean. He says, I'm going to wipe them out. And then, verse 14, probably the saddest thing, I'm going to abandon the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they will become as plunder and spoil to all their enemies. He says this, he says, your ears are going to tingle when you hear what happens. He says, I'm going to line them up and make sure I, I give the right, direct measure of judgment. He says, it's going to be like a kitchen. I'm going to clean, clean them out. I'm going to wipe them out. And then, like dishes, like you wipe a dish, I'm going to wipe them out. And I am going to let them go into the hands of their enemies. You say, why would the Lord ever do that? Don't miss this. Verse 15. This is the only reason why God would ever do that. Unrepentant sin. Because they have done evil in my sight and have been provoking me to anger since the day of their fathers came from Egypt, even to this day. You see, there's a big difference between sin 
and unrepentant sin. There's a big difference between battling sin and saying, I'm not going to change it and I'm going to keep doing that sin. When we say, I'm not going to change and keep doing that sin, watch out, God will intervene. If we are His, He will intervene. And so He's saying here, because they have done evil and they provoked me and they haven't stopped, this is enough here. And verse 16 says that He shed very much innocent blood. Not only did he put his son through the fire, but tradition says that he had Isaiah sawn in two. The prophet Isaiah. All right, this guy's a candidate for hell. He's done, right? He's over. Let's just pray and not even talk anymore about him. He's done. If there's anyone in the Bible that's a candidate for hell, it's this guy. He has done so many things, but I love verse 17. Watch this. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sin which he committed, are they not written where? In the book of where? Oh, so let's go there. Let's see what happens to him. By the way, that was my introduction. All right, here we go. Now we're finally getting to that one amen. We're finally getting to the passage here. This, this, this is where it gets a lot better. All right, that was a tough part to get through. I got through it. All right, this is the guy I can't. All right, now let's, let's get to the good stuff here. Look at this here. Let's go to the book of Chronicles because in Kings it doesn't even mention this. But let's look at what happens here. God's judgment comes upon this guy. Look, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people in, in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10, but they paid what? No attention. No attention. They weren't listening. They would not listen. So what happens? This is, amazes me in verse 11. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army, the king of Assyria, against them, and they captured Manasseh with what? Now don't miss this. All right? Back in my day, when I was younger, amen, right? A couple years ago. <laughs> some of you guys are looking at me. We, we, piercings were normal. You know, we had piercings in, in both ears. I have four piercings that I used to, I used to wear. I used to wear the hanging earrings, you know, and I'm around there, my ears would hang. You know what I mean? I don't wear those things. I don't know what people put those, like, big, you know, I don't know what it is, like a thing in their ear. You know, it looks like their whole earlobe's about to blow out, but they put those things. Now the piercings, you know, I praise the, Some of you guys are a lot braver than we were. They put them in their eyes. Right, amen, right? I could put a whole jewelry store in this eye, but I'm nice. <laughs> they, put, they put them in their cheeks. You see, have you seen that? You seen the piercings in the cheek? I mean, I, that, I mean that's got to hurt. You know? The ear hurts with the cheek. I, uh, how do you do that? You just like open up wide. I don't know how they do that. You know, some people put them in the chin. They put them, I have about six chins. I can put them all down here. We're going to put them, they put them everywhere. The piercings have gone way. Imagine having a hook in your mouth. And back then, this is interesting, the captured with hooks, this was meant to humiliate people. And so they put a hook in his, his mouth to move him around and to take him in chains and took him to Babylon. Imagine that. I kind of picture, and I hate picturing these kind of things, fish. When you catch a, a fish, you know, and these dumb things, and you catch them, and then a hook goes everywhere, and a hook sometimes you really get, you get them in the eye, you get, you get them everywhere, you know, and a hook. I can just imagine him, a hook in his face here, and they're pushing him and moving him. How, what humiliation this king. 
And watch what happens. God is not doing that to punish him. And, 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 let, and let, me, let me just tell you this. A lot of times when these things happen, we think God is doing this to punish us. God is not doing this to punish us. God is doing this to get our attention. There's a difference. Uh, I was reading about a young man that was going out with a girl. His parents didn't approve of it, so he ran away. And he was hiding from the police and hiding with the girl. And, um, and, and the parents were trying to find him, not because they were mad about the girl. They were trying to find him because they found out that the kid had cancer. So while they're trying to find him to save his life, he's trying to run from him to save his girlfriend. And he missed it. He wasn't, they weren't out to punish him, they were out to save him. And that's our God. Our God is not out to punish us, he's out to save us from ourselves. And here's what he does, he captures Manasseh with the hooks. Why did, why did he humiliate him? Because God wants him. I, I love what Wayne Barber says, when we go headstrong after what God has forbidden, God has ways of getting our attention to turn us back to him and his word for our good and the good of those around us. He did this with Manasseh. He humiliated him. He humbled him because he wants him to change. And so what does Manasseh do? Look at his response. This is beautiful. When in... When he was in distress, don't miss this verse 12. It's a wonderful verse. When he was in distress, guess what happened? He entreated the Lord his God. This isn't just a little prayer to God or a little, God, will you help me? This is begging God. He is begging God. I love this. He is begging the Lord is God. What does he do? He humbles himself. He submits to God. Watch this. Greatly before the God of his fathers. He, he, is, he is begging God for help. And he realizes he's been humbled by the people. And he's submitting himself to God. He's turning to God. And look what happens in verse 13. When he prayed to him, guess what? God was moved by his entreaty. I love that. God was moved by his entreaty. Do you see that? He was moved by his entreaty and he heard his supplications. You want to you know a prayer that really moves God? A prayer that moves God is when you go before God and say, Lord, I was wrong. I am sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. Will you help me be the person that you want me to be? God, help me. You are right. I was wrong. I repent. I come to you. God is moved by those prayers. He was moved by the entreaty. Heard his supplication. And look at this. And brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. In his mercy. Not only did he bring him back, but in his mercy he allowed them to be a king. This is amazing. And then Manasseh knew, guess what he knew? That the Lord was God. He understood who God really is. And that's what we're missing. You say, what kind of a God do we have? Look at Isaiah 55, 7. Look what it says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him what? Return to the Lord 
and he will have compassion on him and to our God, and he will abundantly what? Pardon. We have a God that is a God of compassion, a God that will pardon if we go to him. As we say to God, you know what? I've blown it, and nobody is beyond the grace of God. This man who made his own son pass through the fire, who set up and, and worshipped the stars, this man that did all the things that his father didn't do, he could come to God, we could come to God. Amen. He will have compassion on him. And he will what? Abundantly pardon. That's our God. And he understood that. And you say, how do we know he understood that? You know why? Because his life changed. You see, some people say, yeah, I have God in my life, but their lives are the same. That's not the God we serve. When we really say we have God in our lives and God is in our, God changes our lives. And watch how God changed his life. I mean, this man is totally different. Manasseh's Reformation. Look, he built the, verse 14, he built the outer wall. He rebuilt the wall. He fortified the armies. I'm not going to say the fish gate because I don't like that gate. But he, but he, but he built the, he fortified the armies. Look at verse 15. He removed the foreign gods, the idol from the house of the Lord. And all the altars, he threw them out, all those idols. Look at verse 16. He set up, I love this, the altar of the Lord. Not a altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord. Not an altar. The altar of the Lord. And what does he do? He sacrifices peace offerings and thank offerings. And what is that saying? He is saying, God, I am so thankful that I am reconciled to you. He's worshiping God. But he doesn't stop there. And here's the whole point of it. Verse 16. He ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. You want to know if you have a transformed life? A transformed life's, a life points others to be transformed. And here he is. Look at this. He ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Don't miss this. God took this man, this wicked king, who went into things that we can't even imagine, and God transformed his life. And what happened? God used that transformed life to transform others. And that's what God wants to do with us. You say, I've come to Jesus. So what? You've come to Jesus to be a vessel of transformation to other people and point them to Him. And that's how God used Manasseh. You know what I thank the Lord for? I thank the Lord that years before I went to college, there was another kid that went to college. And he went to college and he could care less about God. His name was Terry Tingle. He can care less about God. But God transformed his life. And then he brought me to that same school. I met that guy that was transformed by God and he transformed my life. That's how it works. You know what I thank God for? Years before I ever moved to 107th Street in New York City, I was living on 125th Street, we moved to 107th Street. Years before that, there was a bar on the corner where my uncle used to get drunk and, um, and he used to go there. In the bar. That bar became a church by a missionary who God transformed his life and then we met playing basketball 
where the guy threw me into the wall, threw me down, threw me all this, and he said, hi, I'm a pastor. I said, you're a what? You're a hypocrite. Get out of my life. And I thought he was a, he was a nut job. No, he loved the Lord, and he took me in as his son, and I'm so thankful that God transformed his life because he was an instrument to transforming my life. You know what God wants to do with you? He's transformed your life so that you can be an instrument to transform someone else's life. And here's what's amazing. Manasseh and all the things that he did, he had a son and then he had a grandson. His grandson's name was Josiah, one of the most godly kings that we are going to meet next week. And I can't wait for that one. But you know, Josiah only got six years with his grandfather. But in those six years, he saw what a man of God. What a man of God. You see, Manasseh's transformed life was used to transform others. And that's what God wants of our lives. He ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Now watch this in verse 17. Nevertheless, the people still sacrifice in the high places, although only to the Lord their God. So this is not a bad thing here in verse 17. Although they sacrificed to the high places, something that they did, they only did it to who? To the Lord their God. They got it. They got it. So the question and the prayer is for today is this. Heavenly Father, look at this prayer. Transform our lives that we may be used by you to bring transformation to others. Amen. See, some people say, I'm happy, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. You've missed it. That's not what it's about. He has made a radical change in your life so that the people around you can see it and hear it and come to Him. Will you let God use you that way? You say, but Jeremy, how can God ever use you? That's the excuse. Well, who am I to talk to? I'm just a sinner. Who am I to ever talk to other people? Look at Manasseh. Look at the depths of the sin that he went through. And yet he still looked at the other people once God transformed them and said, you need to be transformed and serve the Lord. He can use any one of us here. Any one of us. And He wants to. So my prayer, and I hope this is your prayer, God, transform me so that I can be an instrument of transformation for others. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we look at, at people around us and we say, wow, could they ever be saved? We look at the depths of the sin that they're in and, and say this, not out loud, but in our own hearts and minds, wow, there's probably no hope for that person. And yet, Lord, there is hope for anyone. No one is out of the reach of your grace. And Lord, you, you knew it in our own lives and we were dead and disobedient and doomed and you transformed our lives so that we would be a vessel of transformation to others and to point them to you. So help us to be sensitive to that. 
Help us, Lord, this week as we run in and rub shoulders with people who don't know you. Help us to remember that we've been transformed so that we can share that with others. And Lord, some of us have gone into the depths of things that we are not happy about, that we're even ashamed to even think about. But yet, Lord, so did Manasseh. And even in the depths of that, you got his attention, just like you did ours. And you transformed his life, just like you did ours. And he took advantage of that transformation and asked others to do the same. That's what you want of our lives. Help us not to only think of ourselves and our Christianity and the benefits we have. Help us to look around us and help us to say, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. You're a great God. He's transformed me and he wants to transform you. Will you let him? If there's anyone here today right now that hasn't experienced the transformation of the grace of God, who hasn't called upon Jesus as their Savior, hasn't admitted to God that they can't by being good or doing good works, that they've haven't they have fallen short of the of the very glory of God, that they're sinners. We need to admit that and believe that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And call upon him to be saved. If you haven't done that, why are you waiting? Now's the time. Allow God to transform your life. Maybe you're not an instrument of transformation because you've never experienced it. Now's the day. Call upon Jesus. He'll save you. Ask him to come into your life. Father, thank you so much. Be a wonderful word. And thank you for this example. Lord, there's hard things when we think about what he has done. But, but Lord, you're a merciful and gracious God. And we praise you for that. Thank you for your grace that is greater than all our sin. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. If you would, please stand with us.